I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be back with you for season three, episode 14 of The Return. I This is a big moment because we're getting one of my favorite characters back. Oscar? Yeah. Okay, I was going to say Oscar or Dwight, because we do have two big returns. You're right. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize the title has a double meaning. I didn't realize that either until like 10 minutes ago. Holy crap. That's brilliant. Uh, Well, actually, I am getting both of my I like both of these characters, as you know. This is a a big episode for you, I think. I, I was texting you like furiously i was like oh my god and there's this and there's this and there's like freudian stuff and there's so much for us to discuss so uh yeah i'm very excited about this one good good you had some trouble with peacock do you want to do you want to complain about peacock at all no this time it was my operator error and uh so i can't blame i can't blame peacock for this but What I can say I discovered that I'm really upset about is that I lost my office DVDs. Oh, no. Some of them. So I had a bunch of seasons before. I can still find season four and season five, but not one, two, or three. And I know I had them. So everyone I know who listens to this, consider this an announcement that I am suspicious. I might have lent them to you and you might have not returned them. And maybe I'll include you in that, Tyler. But um, I was devastated to find them missing. I searched everywhere and could not find them. And uh, I like to have it as a backup. You know, I like to have a physical material backup in case of a streaming problem like I recently came across. And uh, so I've just had some feelings to to deal with. Um, well, I have some good news for you. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't actually, it's not good news for you at all. It's good news for me. Um, but I like, so you were texting me about the DVDs. And at that very moment, I had actually just purchased myself the full, the complete office DVD uh, box set. Are and, you serious? Yeah, I had. And the reason is because I realized that it would be cheaper to just have the DVDs than to pay for Peacock. Because I don't use Peacock for anything else other than this. Um, So early on, Peacock, just really quick, uh, 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 for those who don't know this, I really love horror movies. And I especially love like classic, the classics, the universal black and white horror movies from the 30s and 40s. And for a long time, Peacock had all of them, you know, so you want to watch Daughter of Dracula, you know, boom, Uh, you want to watch, you know, Son of Frankenstein, yes. Uh, but they've taken all that stuff off. So like their horror selection isn't all that great. And anyway, so I bought, uh, the DVD box set. Now here is the good news for you. It is only $39.99 on Amazon. You're kidding. For the whole set. Isn't that insane? That's insane. Okay. I'm delighted. I, I will be replacing my missing ones and then I'll keep the ones I have just in case so I've got at least a backup of seasons four and five or a double backup but um this makes me suspect is season four and five crap in your mind no I think they're good but you just didn't lend them 
I guess not. I don't know. It's also very possible I didn't lend them and I just did something with them, but I cannot figure out what. I love the idea maybe that our old roommate Josh has them. Maybe Let's blame Josh. Yeah. Let's blame Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, should we head over to... Let's let's go to accounting. Yes. I have an embarrassing revision and regret. I felt really ashamed of this one afterward. Last time we were talking about when Dwight uses that psych up song before he goes into a sale. And I talked about my psych up song being shipping up to Boston. And I said it was by flogging Molly. It's the dropkick Murphy's uh... that right after I started kind of visualizing it on my phone. And, you know, the little um, album image. And apparently I cannot tell Irish American punk bands apart. So I am embarrassed about that mistake. But Dropkick Murphys should have been the reference. Um, I mean, I didn't I didn't correct you. Uh, I didn't I, you know, and I know that I know that because they do that song in, I think, The Departed. Um, oh, which is a Leonardo DiCaprio film, and that will become relevant in a second. Um, but anyway, uh, we always find a way to make that relevant. Yeah, are you a fan of the Dropkick Murphys? Have you, do you have you seen them? Are you like a I don't know. I haven't seen them, um, so you know I don't have a deep knowledge or anything. But I just I just felt bad about that. Well, I'm glad you got that out of the way. I uh, have no revisions or regrets. Um, at this time um so maybe, we should... <laughs> maybe living, we should... living without shame is ideal only on this pod uh not <laughs> in every other respect of my life i have so many um <laughs> but we have uh let's go over to the receptionist's corner all right and we have two messages um but i think we'll start with this one uh yeah. so we received an email from Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> he has been listening. I did say it's why it's possible. Okay. So uh the email address, just for reference, is Leonardo DiCaprio 6969 at gmail.com. So just in case anybody wants to, do you think he was born in 1974? Okay, let's look that up. Can you look that up? Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I love the 6969. Whoever, I mean Leo. I guess I thank you for that. It gives you a really a good chuckle. Um, oh God, who in the office would appreciate a 69 joke? I guess Michael, right? Um, Kevin. Oh yes. <laughs> You truly yeah. are the expert. Um, every, you know, he sets the thermostat to 69 every morning. And we have confirmation, DiCaprio's birthday, November 11th, 1974. Well, okay, so that means this is the real Leonardo this DiCaprio. This might really be him. I think this, this is, is him because no one else would do that. Um, <laughs> all right, the, the title is, Hello to my favorite podcasters, exclamation point. Um, are you ready? Yes, I cannot wait. Okay. Dear Tyler and Megan, this is a big deal, by the way. Like, this is your crush. 
and he knows your name. Okay, all right, okay. okay. This is really big for me. <laughs> okay. Dear Tyler and Megan, I finally got the chance to listen to your episode, Return from Vacation. I know, I know, I'm a little behind, but as you might imagine, the last few weeks have been a whirlwind for me, Steve, Kate, and everyone else involved in Titanic. <laughs> oh, shit! Is that a reference to the to the sub at the bottom of the oh god? I had not thought about how this would impact the cast. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway, Steve. who's Steve? Uh, I don't know. Steve. Who would be Steve? Kate is Kate Winslet, right? James Cameron's the director. Yeah. Um, okay, Billy we're gonna Zane that out. The bad guy. Oh yeah, Billy Sam. Who's the captain? Well, I don't know. Me neither. Anyways. Okay, so he says. Anyway, I have often thought about sending the two of you an email to express my appreciation for your work. But when I got into this episode and heard Tyler wonder aloud about whether I listened to your podcast, I knew I finally had to sit down and send you an email. Of course I do, Tyler. I'm a committed listener. <laughs> no, this is exactly the kind of affirmation you needed. <laughs> it is. I feel sort of seen and healed up inside. You know, it's like it's all been worth it. Um, Megan, you said that you're a fan of all of my work. That meant so much to hear. <laughs> Likewise, I am a fan of everything related to the Office Hours podcast. You two blow my mind with your analysis of the episodes, and incredibly, you also always make me laugh. I appreciate the variety of topics that each episode covers, and yeah, I think you should keep going with the supply shelf. <laughs> yes! Okay, done. Um, I love that's listening while driving. Wait, say again? I just said that's a big endorsement. It, it truly. Uh, I love listening while driving, and I always play your latest while I'm sunbathing with models on my yacht. Winky <laughs> face. Are models listening, or do you think he has the ear the AirPods in? What do you think? Oh, he's it's in his ears. Okay, okay. I wish I could rent out sandals. Maybe, maybe he's got it on one of those. Uh you know, portable. Ooh, that would be awesome. What are those called? Bluetooth speakers? Yes. What, what kind of car? He listens, if he listens to it while driving, what kind of car do you picture him driving? I honestly was wondering that. Do you think he has like a Tesla? Uh, he's like an environmentalist. So maybe it would be, I mean, it would be an electric car. I mean, he has a yacht. So. Oh, good point. Much of an, <laughs> in terms of how that affects your travel, your transport options. I don't think I think a Tesla's too basic. Fair enough. Okay, I'm sorry, Leo. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to call him Leo, but I didn't didn't mean to suggest a basic car. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, while Megan is questioning your environmentalist cred, I would never. And I I bet that your yacht is carbon neutral, um, if not carbon negative. So um, yes, I'm backtracking. I want to agree with you here, Tyler. <laughs> Well, especially because his next, uh, his next paragraph. Um, okay. I wish I could rent out sandals to make it for the three of us to enjoy, <laughs> but I just can't commit to any big plans at the moment. Damn. <laughs> you know you how know. many times people have said that to me? 
But you know, how many times have they been people who really had the scale of plans of Leonardo DiCaprio? I mean, and I don't want to take him away from his work. He, he does have better places to be than with us. I know we're laughing at this, but what if this actually were the real Leonardo DiCaprio? Part of us, you know, part of us will never know. And I think that will <laughs> always remain open in our hearts. Yeah, because I literally have no idea who sent this. <laughs> And you don't either. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I've heard nothing. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, okay, so I just can't commit to any big plans at the moment. Please know that in my heart of hearts, I am wishing that the three of us were drinking pina coladas on the beach, debating the merits of vertical blinds versus horizontal blinds. Oh, parentheses. wow. I'm with Megan on this one, LOL. Whoa. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what your take was on that. You prefer vertical blinds? No, strongly opposed. Yeah, that's right. Because I like vertical blinds. <laughs> I think there's a nice flow there. Anyway, but whatever. Um, keep up the good work, you two. Sincerely, Leo. Oh. Yes. I have to confess that it hadn't occurred to me that my girlfriends are exploiting me for my wealth and fame. That's a hard <laughs> pill to swallow. Going to have to bring that one to my therapy appointment this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay leo's in therapy i can date him you could definitely date him also he officially approved you calling him leo by signing it leo you're right i love a sincerely by the way i love yeah I, I agree i like it sincerely too there's classic. something very sincere seeming about it i think it's very it classic. classic yeah so yeah thoughts reactions responses feel like I'm speechless. I am without speech. I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I am without speech. It's, um, uh, it's so incredible. Well, thank you, Leo, for writing in. We are very grateful uh, for your support. I'm sad that I lost you on the blinds. Uh, hope I didn't upset you too much about the idea that the models might be exploiting you. But on the other hand, maybe they're not. Maybe it's true love. Um, and, uh, you know, really the only way for us to assess that would be if you invite us to the yacht, we mm -hmm. sort of get to know them, you know, that's going to probably need to be more than one night, a couple of days, maybe. So, um, so let's keep that open as an option. Let's keep that open. Yeah. Thank you. I, I am so touched by this email and the wonderful level of thought and care that went into it. Also appreciate the endorsement of the supply shelf and, we will come back with a review of an office supply. Well, on that note, we have one other message, and it is specifically about the supply shelf. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Let's would see if this is, maybe this will be a counterpoint. Uh, would you like to read it? Sure. Okay. I'm going to paste it in the chat for you. Uh, I have to paste it into. Got into, it. Uh, two chunks uh okay so okay. the title of this email is supply self uh <laughs> supply shelf suggestion okay great and who is this from Corey all right we've had some debate with Corey over running let's see let's see where we go with supply shelf hello Tyler and Megan emailing today primarily about the supply shelf for the last couple of episodes you've asked folks to share their opinions on the supply shelf segment and I figured I'd give my two cents could, could the supply shelf move beyond pens 
and perhaps engage explicitly with paper. Specifically, I love this so much. Specifically, I wonder about your relationships with paper. If you have paper preferences, paper companies that you prefer, paper habits in your life. I, for example, love brainstorming writing on blank white paper, often the back of something that got printed single-sided. Mm. But if I'm really handwriting a draft of something, it's got to be lined. Another paper thought, and this might be more work that you want to put in. Um, this might be more work than you want to put into this. It would be interesting to learn more about the history of paper production as a way to contextualize Dunder Mifflin. I think the episodes themselves draw attention to the fact that given the time the series is set, the company is hemorrhaging customers due to big box stores and the fact that many companies at this time were going paperless. But I'm curious about looking backwards. For example, I'd be curious to learn if the production of paper and maybe the emergence of cheap paper is connected to the growth of the middle class that the employees of Dunder Mifflin are part of. Wow. Damn. That's a really good question. Anywho, thanks for continuing to delight your fans with your smart takes and joyful laughter. I look forward to each new episode. Corey. Oh, Thank you, Corey. I love this. This, this is exciting for me. This is exciting. Tyler, please elaborate. Well, first, I definitely have strong opinions about paper. Um, hmm. I must say primarily the context in which my strong opinions arise are in like the experience of journaling. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, I, I now know, I now like type up my journal, but for years and years and years, I would buy journals and write, you know, in them every day or very often. <laughs> and so, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on paper quality, on stock, on uh, you know, texture, weight. Um, so I look forward to, yeah, I'm going to think about this, but I really, but I'm really excited about this kind of opportunity to bring in some material context uh, about the production of paper. That is so interesting and clever. So interesting. That was such an insightful question about it with the connection to the, the cheapening of paper and the connection to the rise of the middle class. Mm. I feel like I feel like we might be able to find things in relation to the history of the printing press. Mm. And um, I, I think there's got to be some interesting stuff there. So we will look into that. Tyler, are you wanting to kind of come back, though? Are you wanting to gather your thoughts, decide what particular paper products you want to review and discuss and bring them to a future pod? Yeah, I think I think I'm going to I think maybe we text a little bit about this and kind of maybe we can bring, uh, you know, we can. Yeah. Kind yeah. of sculpt it a little bit. Um, Let's give it the seriousness. That yeah, it's and maybe we break it up over a few episodes where it's like, okay, let's talk about, you know, loose leaf. Let's talk about yeah. lined versus not lined. Let's talk yes. about college ruled versus wide ruled. Yeah. Notebook practices. I'm, I want to hear. And then obviously all of the, the, the production stuff too. So yeah. Okay. To be the supply shelf lives. Supply shelf lives. But it grows. And we're grateful uh, to Corey and Leonardo DiCaprio for um, helping us to envision it. Yes. Thank you to our wonderful listeners and writers. Yeah, I'm uh, excited about this. Okay, so should we head on over to uh, the conference room where we... <laughs> uh, 
your uncertain pause. I yeah. know I'm still struggling to remember the geography here. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, let's uh, dive in in this episode. Okay, let's do it. So this episode is the return. And here's our summary. The staff plans a party to celebrate Oscar's return. Andy grates on nerves. An office prank takes an unexpected turn. Tyler, should we start with the beginning? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so just to kind of give the overview, the reminder of what's happening in the opening of this episode, we have Dwight revving up to go on interviews. He's out, he's looking for a job. Then we see him at Staples. He's taken the position at Staples in the meantime while he continues the job search. And then we go into the office. So this was interesting as an open because it has part of the time spent out of the office and then part of the time spent in the office. I feel like the opening doesn't usually have this many locations, but it ends up then giving us that side by side. And we have Andy playing his ringtone, Rockin' Robin. He is very proud of it. It is very annoying. And it closes out with an interview with Jim saying, I miss Dwight. Congratulations, universe. You win. Tyler, what stood out to you about this opening? First, I think it's too long. Uh, it just, was long. Yeah, I don't love, I don't know. I, I don't love um, this style of a cold open where we're cutting between two um, scenes. or what? I mean, really, three or multiple ones. But we have Dwight in a few different interviews and being interviewed then we have andy and jim and then we have jim's interview so to me it's just a lot of moving parts but um i mean the the punchline of jim saying i miss dwight congratulations universe you win is really funny mm-hmm. and deeply amusing and ironic um you know especially given how the tables have sort of turned in terms of andy being i don't pestering him in the way that perhaps jim i suppose pestered dwight um although maybe that's it's not an equivalent but i anyway so that's my my one thought about that part the dwight stuff hilarious and my favorite aspect of all of it is how would i describe myself three words hardworking, alpha male jackhammer merciless insatiable (laughs) (laughs) good selection of Three words. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, what about you? What stood out to you here? That, well, I think Dwight's description of himself and the fact that that one, he's interviewing with a woman in an office where everything is pink. Like, the wall is pink. There are pink things on her desk. She just so clearly is not the audience for jackhammer alpha male. (laughs) (laughs) and it's interesting because Dwight Dwight in our in the last episode was good with his audience you know he was good with selling but here he does not adapt himself at all to the audience and he just comes across as kind of baffling to the people who are interviewing him the first interview he goes to is a man um, and Dwight is saying, for your convenience, I've broken it down into three parts. Professional resume, athletic and special skills resume, and Dwight shoot tri- tri- trivia. I would love to know that trivia. I 
Also love the idea of including athletic skills on your resume for a paper <laughs> company. You know, it's good to have a total package. He's a renaissance man. That's right. He's ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face him. Yes. <laughs> he's got but confidence. The twist that he's working at Staples is awesome, I think. Uh, and I was like, did they, Staples approve this? And I guess you know, similar to the Chili's and what was the other one we talked about? Hooters maybe, or um, sandals. sandals, you know, does this make them look bad? Like not really um, in any major way. I didn't think so, um, but I yeah. was really surprised that it was like, it wasn't, I don't know what would, you know, it's not pencils yes. <laughs> or, or staplers, you know, the box store. It's the, like yes. legit staples, their main competitor. And the fact that his coworkers never heard of Dunder Mifflin is, uh, you know, excellent, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah. Did you think it was a betrayal? Has Dwight betrayed his values by working for Staples? No, I didn't think so. I just feel like Dwight is a hardworking man, and you need to have a job to make money. And I think he's willing to do what he's got to do. Well, I, I think it might be, you know, this this might appeal to the Corey of it all. Um, but just for a little bit of background, Staples, if you had to guess what year Staples is founded, what year would you guess? Like, how old would you think it is? That's a really good question. 1996? Wow. Interesting. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1986. 1986 is okay. the first store uh, in Brighton, Massachusetts. But in 1996, it reaches the Fortune 500 and acquires the supplies company Quill Corporation. So 96 is kind of it sounds like when it blows up, uh, its sales surpassed three billion dollars. Um, so that's when it might have made it onto my radar. Yeah, it, precisely. Uh, yeah, just a couple of little details here. I thought this was interesting. This is from the Wikipedia history of Staples, but the idea originated in 1985 when uh, Thomas G. Stemberg was working on a proposal for a different business. He needed a ribbon for his printer, but was unable to obtain one because his local dealer was closed for the Independence Day holiday. A frustration with the reliance on small stores for critical supplies combined with Stemberg's background in the grocery business led to a vision for an office supply superstore. Um, and it had backing from Bain Capital and Mitt Romney was the co-founder of Bain Capital and he served on the board of directors of Staples for like 15 years. Wow. But what's kind of interesting to me about that is like, okay, so you got this like finance capitalist or whatever, you know, um, annoyed that he can't buy something, he can't do business on Independence Day which is right like a national federal holiday yeah uh, to support you know whatever patriotism etc um uh -huh. and but capitalism doesn't give a fuck about that it's like no workers workers can't have a day off so i need to create a business as a workaround to this federal holiday um <laughs> but uh so by the time so this episode airs in 2007 so uh -huh. At that time, um, like around that time, Staples is snatching up other businesses 
and like merging and doing all kinds of stuff. Hmm. So like they merge with tops and stop and shop and giant like and like they acquire a Dutch office supplies company in hmm. 2008. Um, and but anyway, what's interesting to me is that uh, they try to acquire Office Depot and Office Max in 2015, oh. locked under antitrust grounds. Um, and then after that, uh, like in 2017 and onward, it's basically been increasingly struggling because of e-commerce. Um, so it's just interesting that like in the show, Staples is the big evil corporation that's going to, you know, whatever. And, yeah. you know, maybe it still is, but now it's on the decline um, because of the people don't people don't shop in stores anymore. Yeah. Wow. That's some good. That's some good office supply history. But Dwight is there. And uh, uh, well, we'll we'll have to unpack his okay. his sales techniques. Yeah, what, what about Andy and the um Andy and the tuna? Oh my gosh, Andy is insufferable. He is so brutal in this episode. We hear that song. I thought it was interesting the way that Andy in this episode is extremely annoying or he, he's annoying everyone who's there in the office, particularly Jim and Michael. Michael is wonderfully expressive of his annoyance, I think in this episode, but it also, one of the strategies I think of the episode is the fact that it plays Andy's phone rock and Robin so many times that it also becomes annoying to viewers. Yes. So I think it kind of ropes us into that. I, okay. So Andy is deeply irritating. At the same time, I think that, uh, who's the actor playing him? Do you know his name? Ed Helms. Ed Helms. I think his performance is really, really funny. And just certain, I don't know if he did it or if they wrote it this way, but certain phrases like, thank you muchly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or the way that he says, so here's to the future, Andy and the tuna um, <laughs> is uh, just amazing. There's another, oh, when he says to Michael, um, uh, TGI Wednesday, am I right? <laughs> going to go home, get my beer on, get my lost on. What are you doing later? Want to hang out? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Well, I will take that as a maybe. <laughs> He does have some really good lines. I, I really like, I'll take that as a maybe. I found there are a couple lines, including that, that I noticed, oh, the, as much as I'm annoyed by Andy in this episode, there are some of his lines that I take up and use myself. Like what? Including, I'll take that as a maybe. But there was one other, and now I should have written it down because now I'm forgetting what it was. But there was something else in there. One other thing I noticed this time while we're kind of in the early part is that he refers to Ryan as big turkey. Yes. And there's the whole thing. It's a big thing with him calling Jim big tuna because Jim brought a tuna sandwich to work one day. I think was it the first day he was with Andy or something. And we never really hear this big turkey thing, but he's looking at Ryan referring to him when he says this. So assuming... Ryan probably brought a turkey sandwich to work at some point and got this name. But 
it made me it made me wonder about the dynamics of how it turns out that Jim is the one who is so becomes like Andy's victim in Jim's in Jim's words and does Ryan escape that by just not giving it that much attention for example mm. so he's called big big turkey he just but basically ignores it and goes back to his work uh but Jim things really things really escalate with Jim well okay so let's unpack that for a second a why is Jim why does this grade on Jim so much and B, why is Andy doing this? Is he just, is this his unfettered, authentic personality? Um, Or is this uh, his, like, is he trying to do to Jim what he did to Dwight, but in a different way? Hmm. Because he's clear, he says, I feel I have a lot to learn from you, even though you're younger and have less experience. And... (laughs) Uh, and he does say, I'm thrilled to be dr- working directly beneath you. So whereas before he was in a power contest with Dwight, but on the other hand, I don't get that vibe. What do you think? Hmm. It's like there are a number of things to tease out here because there's the whole thing about him being what Jim calls a yes man to mm-hmm. Michael, as he also was to Josh, where he, we, we've talked, so we talked in past times about his personality mirroring technique, which works up to a point, but here we see it going way too far. And so his saying, for example, that he likes every single thing that Micah likes, is it their top 10 movies or top 10 songs that Micah refers to? Mm. Do you remember? He says that their, so their top 10 list happens to be exactly the same. And Michael just, believes this he doesn't think that andy just copied his list so that he would think that they shared all the same top movies or songs or whatever it was right 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 i keep um, trying to find it um, and so he's he's so annoying to michael in one way but is he so annoying to jim in a different way it feels like there are these threads of it because the thing with the the cell phone I didn't really feel like he was trying to be annoying with the cell phone. Right. Right. Like, so he says, um, he starts playing it and Jim notices and asks, is that you singing? And Andy says, all four parts recorded on my computer. It took me forever. And that's when he says, Jim says, nice job. And he says, thank you much Lee. And then he just lets it keep playing. And he seems genuinely proud of it it's a really nerdy and dare I say kind of sweet thing to do on your own to put in that effort he loves he clearly loves singing and I don't know this was both this was so annoying but it didn't feel like he was trying to be the worst with the cell phone thing no, I think it's, I mean, I, I, I mean, Jim is kind of mean when he says, uh, well, I'd called it myself. I just thought you'd get a kick out of the new ring. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny, but it's like, if he is, if this is his desperate attempt for approval or whatever, to be cool or to say, you know, look what I can do. I don't know. It's like, but on the other hand, my God, it is annoying. Um, 
It is. And uh, and Jim does not, you know, I feel like part of what he didn't like about Dwight was him being like a suck up uh, or obsequious, whatever, to Michael. And so I think he doesn't like that in Andy either, like the kind of fakeness or something. And so maybe what annoys Jim there is that Andy would would want to impress or would think that this would impress him or that he would even want to or need to impress yeah. him. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah I, I don't know. What I think is so clever in the writing of this, but I am also sort of confused about just like psychologically, is Michael's reaction to Andy. So there is nothing I mean, at the end of the last episode, I'd have to rewatch it, but like I was confused the extent to which Michael is aware that Andy is manipulating him or not. Like he seems at times to be not maybe not aware, but like he pushes back. Yeah. Like, and we see that continue here. So, for example, um, Michael says uh, Dwight Schrute has left the company, more personnel turnover, turnover. Andy says the cost of doing business, Michael. Yes, well, it is a big loss. Dwight was the top salesman. Andy was the top salesman. I said was. Addition by subtraction. What does that even mean? That's impossible. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, whatever. But like, he isn't just going with it. And that increases over the course of this episode when it's like, what do you, you know, want to hang out? I don't know, maybe. Um, so I guess part of me, I think it's really clever because we've seen... Andy have this same uh, desperate yearn for being liked that Michael does. Mm -hmm. And so, so I find that really interesting. And we pre or they previewed that earlier in the season when Michael meets him the first time and it's like, Oh, but I like that Andy guy, you know, whatever. Um, so I guess part of my question is what has turned, why is he consciously or unconsciously resisting him? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. just read this into the record um and then i want to get your take on this he says love that andy right solid fellow seems smart enough likes me a lot a lot too much like a crazy <laughs> person a little not super crazy just there's something about him that creeps me out i can't really explain it mm. he's always up in my business which is ebonics for being in my face and annoying the bejesus out of me I don't understand how someone could have so little self-awareness. <laughs> Which is oh, an amazing line, but yeah, what do you think? Tell you've zeroed in on maybe my favorite quote of the <laughs> episode. He's he's going back. You remember the remember the episode when Daryl says, Yeah, I taught Michael some black man phrases for his interracial conversations. <laughs> I feel like Michael thinks that he's thinks that he's using this but it is so funny and I think so perfectly written for him to say and he does this like translation when he says which is ebonics for being in my face and annoying the bejesus out of me and but then the line that immediately follows I don't understand how someone could have so little self-awareness because he has just used a line that demonstrates so little self-awareness mm -hmm. and Okay, so that's one of the things that I thought was just really, really smart there is simultaneously being so not self-aware, but 
identifying that problem in somebody else. Also, the description of Andy's annoyingness when he says, um, the part about him, that he likes me a lot, a lot, too much, and that there's something about him that creeps me out. And this got me thinking about where the line is between being liked and being mildly harassed or really harassed. It feels like there's this kind of complicated line in that desire to be liked, but then at what point does it tip into creepiness? You know, at what point does it get to be too much? And I may be going on for too long here, but it also made me wonder to what extent this kind of thing is related to sexual harassment Mm. as something that is about showing excessive interest. Mm. And it seems to generate some of the same kind of feeling like he's hiding behind his door he's doing everything he can to try to avoid it gives him the creeps he also references um a sports caster he he asks this is in an interview who's that sports caster that bit that lady marv something andy is like marv something great sports caster big weirdo creep and so i looked up who that reference was it was Marv Albert, you won't be surprised. I don't have great familiarity with sportscasters, but um, he bit and sexually assaulted a woman. And so it's interesting that Michael is drawing that parallel too. Wow, yeah. And they do have, it does have a similar feel in some way and a similar effect in creating that discomfort from excessive, showing excessive interest. Mm. Even when it's not like it doesn't have to be touching or it's not, he, you know, he's not saying anything, anything sexual, although he, he is asking Michael to take a nap at his house. But <laughs> but it just like, do you know what I mean? There's this kind yes. of fuzzy weirdness of the crossing over from being liked to being too much. Uh, well, first, I, that um, is it Marv Albert? Is that his mm-hmm. name? Um, mm-hmm. That is such a smart and interesting um, connection. I love that. And um, then second, I just, you're making me think of the the line about the nap is so great. Um, so Michael's going to go to Staples to get Dwight and Andy says, just listen, I forgot to tell you the plan for this Saturday. <laughs> I loved it. I think this is so funny. And it totally captures his kind of frat boy uh poser i don't know vibes anyway you me you you, me bars beers buzzed wings shots drunk waitresses hot football cornell hofstra slaughter then a quick nap at my place and we'll hit the tiz tiz (laughs) out um so before well okay just I'm, I'm, but yeah, okay. A few different things. Number one, about that line, I don't know why, but I just love that construction where there are no. It's it's mainly nouns that are <laughs> yeah. being iterated in a litany, but uh-huh. we in by the sequence of the nouns, we understand the narrative of of yeah. the party <laughs> evening. And I just find that really enjoyable, but I have no idea where that comes from. Like I recognize that as a as a as a 
as an idiom or something but i don't it, anyway and it reads as a kind of frat boy dude bro thing but anyway i'd be curious if you have thoughts on where that kind of rhetorical structure comes from but back to your other point there is something aggressive about desire and yeah. andy is like raw desire to be <laughs> liked to be the most powerful uh, to be you know whatever whatever right and like uh yeah and so there's some i mean and i don't know i guess desire wants to obtain the object at any cost or something yeah. right? and, and like which is michael in this case right right and and andy can't modulate that i mean i feels often that this show is about like the 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 how how difficult it is to regulate emotions yeah. in social yeah. interactions or something like that and so yeah. the fact that this arrives at him like punching the wall and being really angry i think confirms your point that there is a aggressive undertone or a a, a darker harassing element to his um how pushy he is mm -hmm. yeah i love your point about the language here saturday you me bars beers buzzed and so on i don't feel like this seems uniquely andy like there's a, a poetry to it <laughs> maybe you're right yeah is i totally know what you mean about the but it i'm trying to say because it does capture it does manage to capture a frat boy vibe but i don't know if that actually comes from somewhere like does this come from something else or is it andy he does seem to have a kind of knack for language in some yeah. ways he does have unique ways of using it and the way you said that he, he's able to just use these words and put together this whole narrative of an entire beer soaked day together is really fascinating yeah and then to go back to your other uh the moment we were talking about before i'm trying to find it but where michael is basically like um doesn't he say something like on paper i should like him yeah yeah or something like i feel like that scene is not in the script i have or something but the uh where's the line where he says um creep uh Okay, so likes me a lot, a lot, too much, like a crazy person. So you've kind of unpacked part of that. I'm thinking though too, what does this say about Michael? Hmm. That like somebody that likes him a lot must be crazy, which sort of speaks to Michael's unconscious, total lack of self-esteem and lack of self-worth, right? Like or I don't know, that's one, I feel like there's something there that like, he kind of is, he's this, this is everything he's wanted. Like everything yeah, he's yeah. wanted from Dwight in a way, well, not Dwight. I, this is always what's interesting to me with Michael is like the people that actually do want to be around him and spend time with him and give him adoration, he does not want that. And so he chases for approval after those who don't give it to him. And this in no way is similar to my dating life or <laughs> uh, a history of complicated friendships in my teens and 20s. Uh, not at all. I'm just saying that 
perhaps when people feel that they don't have self-worth, it's it's weird why you would not where you why you would pull away in instances where people are actually saying, Oh, I like you, I want to spend time with you. On the other hand, I'm not saying that Andy is being authentic. And mm-hmm. so maybe Michael is is more socially adept or something hmm. than I tend to give him credit for. Like he lacks self-awareness about how similar they are. Yeah. But he doesn't lack self-awareness about how inauthentic Andy is. Uh-huh. And Michael does seem more authentic in that he wants like Jim's friendship, but not for any other purpose. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not sure what to think there. Hmm. I don't know. This so when about Michael's self-awareness, that moment when he's talking in the conference room to Jim, and Jim points out that he was the same way with Josh. And so then Michael says something like, Well, if he was that way with Josh, then he might be doing that with me. Is that a, a turning point for him? Whereas before he was kind of baffled by Andy's excess and by liking him too much and it just having that weird feeling. And is he then kind of registering that it is not just too much, but that it is manipulative? Yeah, I think you're right. That's really interesting. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where that happens because it's not in our script. Our script is off. Yeah. So let me uh, scroll through here. Okay. Um, oh, no, this isn't it either. But yeah, he basically says, like, I don't want somebody sucking up to me because they think I'm going to help their career. I want them sucking yeah. up to me because they genuinely love me, right? Oh, that's, he says that. That's at the, the final line, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yet again, like not, you know, a, a glimpse into uh, self-awareness. <laughs> yes. I mean, but that also is always the thing that like Michael doesn't fully see. I mean, he does and he doesn't. Like he he has the power in these relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why Andy wants to befriend him, right? Is like by befriending the boss, you know, and like it's not easy to take that out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, well, the- so uh meanwhile, so if Dwight is gonna be returning, we also get Oscar returning. Yes. This was really an interesting way to do it. I was kind of curious, like your thought on just the very concept of bringing him back and how they approach it. Yeah. Well, I love the entry. So Michael, (laughs) Michael has driven, (laughs) this is just, I think a great detail. Michael has driven up in his, Chrysler Sebring convertible and the top won't go up, but it is a snowy day. This will come back later, but he presses the button and tries to make the top go up and it doesn't go. And then Oscar rolls up in his new Lexus SUV. And I just thought it was a really nice entry where we have Michael's car that is supposed to be a sign of status and of pride and that he's talked about and shown off about before. And then Oscar driving in just kind of quickly and without even having to really say anything, one-ups him with this car. Right, 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 right. And 
I mean, part of what I found charming about it is that Michael is trying. He's kind of like, this is my gay friend, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, so he's like, really, he's like, oh, you should put bumpers, you know, rainbow bumper stickers all over it or whatever. Like, uh, it was, it's a really interesting, like, evolution of his character, right? Like, yeah. trying to, in his own way, be an ally. <laughs> yes. And I guess I was charmed by it. And I loved Oscar's interview where he's kind of like, you know, I, I hope everybody's learned their lesson and shut up. And on the other hand, I want a home theater. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Because this is, because the kind of key thing is that this, um, this Lexus was part of the deal that he got from corporate. Yeah. And so, avoid suing. so he got that, he got that time off and he got the car, which is a corporate lease. Michael refers to it as German engineering and Lexus is a, I, I looked this up to confirm it's a Japanese car. So I don't know if he was just off on his thing about German engineering and he was kind of trying to do cool car talk. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. And kind of bond over car things, but didn't really work but yeah his uh his suggestion his suggestion to cover it in rainbows oh michael would it's you interesting on the, the like the idea of al allyship and you know how how do you show support and in an episode that's in a lot of ways about going over the top there's also his kind of over the topness of you know to show support it's about putting rainbows everywhere I felt like the show didn't, I don't know, maybe this is problematic, but to me, I love Kevin saying, oh, hello, Oscar, how was your gaycation? And Oscar says, oh, that's very funny. And mm -hmm. Kevin's like, yeah, I thought of it like two seconds after you left and they like <laughs> fist bump or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I was like, that's a great example of like, an, I don't think that's a homophobic joke. Yeah. And part of what is funny about it is like, uh, well, like it's a joke. I don't know. I, it's like Kevin is not the most ally seeming guy, and but he loves dirty jokes and sexual humor. And this is like a great expression of that aspect of his personality in his attempt to sort of demonstrate that he's happy to see Oscar back. And and yeah. to and to show you know the I don't know to bond yeah. and yes. so you know I'm not saying that that couldn't be a homophobic joke it's not but it's the way in which it's delivered and the way in which Oscar receives it yeah um, that is really I found I actually find very charming and sweet it's like the context and their negotiation of it makes it not problematic or whatever and it's also realistic like. Mm -hmm. Pe queer people joke about queerness and mm -hmm. you know yeah Kevin isn't queer but like Oscar I don't know I, I feel like it's a way of recognizing the the elephant in the room <laughs> in yeah. a way that is I don't know I, I just yes. it was charming I thought it was kind of charming maybe yes. I'm trying to justify it <laughs> that's how that's how I felt about it too and it helps show, like, there can be subtlety to these things. Because you, you're right, like you said, there are different ways that you could deliver a gaycation joke. 
Um, but it did seem, it did seem like a, a bonding moment for them. And it was, it was one of those where he knew it's one of those jokes that's obviously stupid. Right. You know, like it's not really funny, but it's this thing too, like, oh, I came up with that as you know, two seconds after you left or something. And I, I felt like the fist bump afterward was really kind of affirming that it was a connecting moment for them. So that that was how I how I took it too. And I really enjoyed that. And it it felt more natural and it felt less awkward than Michael's rainbows comment totally totally because um, it felt more comfortable it was like yes kevin doesn't care it's right. kevin feel, it's comfortable with kevin it's not real comfortable with michael it's not comfortable with angela but it seemed it seemed more comfortable with kevin and that's not to try to envision or know what all is going on in terms of oscar's feelings there but just the dynamic of it felt less strained i think right because right i mean if oscar was upset you know, to what extent Kenny or Kenny not express that. On the other hand, he's just said, let them talk and yeah. I'll get my home theater. So yeah. <laughs> um, this is in the service of that. At the same time, I don't know. I mean, part of what's funny about it is the wordplay of vacation, but it also, it is a gaycation because it was a vacation from work because of harassment for being gay. Like, yeah. um, I don't know. It's anyway, it's not and like- Gil, yeah. he went with Gil. Yeah. Michael, in the episode when uh, Oscar leaves, Michael thinks Gil is his roommate. <laughs> Remember that when he asks, I wonder if Gil knows. So good. So good. So just following this part, I was curious what you made of Angela's party planning committee invite. Because she asks Oscar here if he wants to join the party planning committee. And Oscar says, you mean the committee with all the women? What were your thoughts about this invitation? Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, he says, because I'm gay, and she says, no, no. And I will say that this line and her performance of it is one of my favorites <laughs> in the episode. Um, so she says, no, no, certain events have transpired. And I've thought about certain things. And I'm sorry for the way those certain events transpired. And I would just <laughs> like to make some changes about certain things and certain situations. <laughs> Which, like, I, you know, is totally on brand for Angela's, like, vagueness and her inability to take any responsibility um, in a way. But also, it reminded me of, like, an undergraduate paper or my own essays sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm, like, certain things <laughs> yeah. about certain stuff and whatever. It just makes me laugh. But... I mean, it does feel like, on the one hand, it feels like he's in, she's inviting him because uh, he's gay and she understands that as essentially equivalent to femininity. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose all of the women in the office are on the party planning committee. Is that correct? I think Kelly is not. And Mayor, is Kelly on it? I don't know because it, it feels like there's the core, yeah. which is Pam, Angela, Pam, and Phyllis. And then, like, does Meredith sometimes come in and Kelly sometimes come in? I think we've seen them in the mix. And then, wasn't the woman who was breast pumping? Wasn't she in one of them? Oh yeah, she came in, and Karen joined, and then was kind of kicked out. Okay, so 
So he, I like that he kind of There was the one time when Ryan came in. <laughs> oh yeah. But Can aside we, from it really is it really is a women's committee. Which is problematic in its first place, but I think that it just on a character level it's interesting that Angela is um uh like this is her realm of power. Yeah. Right? And so she is trying to um extend a hand to Oscar and this is kind of the only way she knows how and it is a it's a big gesture for her um so but I guess my question to you is sort of why what what certain things and certain events have transpired to make her change her mind about Oscar yeah 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 how does I wondered about that too how is it that her feeling about Dwight leaving and her really being responsible for it ends up leading her to rethink her position, her attitude, her way of treating her coworkers more generally. Because it does seem like from this little speech that she gives, it's got like the kind of reflection that it's put her into is bigger than just about letting Dwight leave. Yeah. So she, in the last episode or whatever, the reason Dwight left is because she wouldn't basically come out about their relationship. So that's one thought I had. It's like, she kind of, Mm -hmm. are we meant to think that she understands the shame or the, the necessity of being in the closet? Um, Oh, that's really interesting. That was one thought I had. I mean, I, you know, whatever. Um, or is it that she, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what else it could be. Yeah. Um, so then we also get um, one of my all-time favorite lines in the episode. I really like this episode. Um, but it's Phyllis's cutaway. Mm-hmm. She says, Dwight has a big personality and I have a big personality. And a lot of times when two people like that get together, it can be explosive. Um, I just thought that was so fascinating. Uh, I mean, it's hilarious because she delivers it completely flat. Yeah. And, um, but also, is that how she sees herself? I wondered that too. Does Phyllis have a big personality? I, I don't know. And I, I guess think so. What gives someone? What makes somebody have a big personality? Do you have to be loud? Hmm. Is that a prerequisite for counting as big personality? Like Packer has a big personality. Yes. Andy, big personality. <laughs> Dwight, big personality. Is it about how you inhabit? I mean, definitely loudness. And those are all male characters. And yes. um, in the very next scene, we kind of get an example of Dwight's big personality. So his coworker in the script, her name's Paris. And I really love this actress. She's in community. Um, if anybody's a fan of, of that show, but, um, so she says, Oh, you know, it's really coming down out there. Commute's going to be hell. Dwight. I have snow tires and chains plus exceptional hand-eye coordination. (laughs) But like, he can't kind of do small talk without inflating his, his awesomeness or something. 
So yeah. um, where were you working before this? Dunder Mifflin. What kind of company is that? Right. So she's trying to elicit a follow-up question and he scoffs paper company. They're only one of Staples top competitors in the area. <laughs> so dismissing her, undermining her because she doesn't recognize how awesome he is for working at this awesome company. I never heard of him. Whoa, really? Have you heard of paper? Yeah. Um, so I felt that that was really interesting because we're seeing Dwight in a new context and we're like, well, this is what he's like. And yeah. so in that context, being a big personality is like, literally, you have to see him as a big man, you know, as, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, important or something. Mm-hmm. So does, does Phyllis see herself as important or you know, even though she doesn't, I mean, I guess the joke is she doesn't stand up to Angela. She doesn't, she's yeah. not, I don't know. It's interesting. No, it's like, yeah, maybe there's more there than we've recognized. It also relates some to the Michael thing about, I don't understand how someone could have so little self-awareness. Just an interesting question of self-awareness and kind of how people describe themselves and other people and their similarity or difference from them because Michael doesn't see the similarity between himself and Andy even though there are a lot of things there but Phyllis is drawing this parallel between her personality and Dwight's which does not seem obvious at all to us but is interesting for her as a way of narrating who she is and who he is and what that means in terms of office interactions do you have a theory on why it's so hard for us to be aware of ourselves or why why they can't these characters can't see themselves see the parallels between themselves and others is it because we would hate ourselves too much and we just can't stand it (laughs) interesting say more give an example For Michael, so Michael's point, his line about self, I don't understand how someone could have so little self-awareness about Andy. He's pointing out a lack of self-awareness in someone else when he is characterized by a lack of self-awareness in so many ways. Andy in this episode is the one who is unbearably annoying, but typically Michael is very annoying. And so seeing some of those things, and maybe it's partly that sometimes we hate in other people the things that are also in us, but it's, it just feels like, is there something that is too terrible to face? And so you just can't, self-awareness is intolerable mm. in some form. Mm. This makes me wonder about a scene that is missing in our transcript, and I hope that you wrote it down, because to me it is, it's a game changer. Mm. And I mean, like, I don't know how we're ever going to finish talking about it, but Michael reveals that he's had his butt kissed once before. (laughs) Do you have the, the, did you write it down? Do you have it? I I haven't written down the the quote specifically but so basically it's it's in an interview in his office and michael is talking about when he was five and he had spider-man pajamas and his mom 
was tucking him into bed and went to give him a raspberry to like on his stomach, like to, you know, do that blow sound. And Michael kind of squirms away (laughs) and his mom accidentally kisses him on the butt. And he says, and it was just the worst. So (laughs) he tells this story of his mom, yeah, like trying to blow on his stomach, hitting his butt instead, and it being just the worst, being this thing that he remembers decades later and continues to be unsettled by and uncomfortable with. And now it's it's in line with Andy kissing his butt. Okay. So a few questions I have here. Uh, the relevance of the Spider-Man pajamas. Uh, <laughs> but this the fact that he remembers them suggests that this is an indelible memory, as you said, one that haunts him. Mm-hmm. I I'm afraid to ask this question. But was afraid. Michael was Michael abused <laughs> by his mother? <laughs> hear me out. Because hear me out. We have the birthday story about like his ch- chafed thighs and her yeah. like rubbing lotion on his body, uh-huh. and then we have her dressing him in the little suits. And I keep thinking about him as like some kind of toy or prop for her, like mm-hmm. some sort of ex- I don't know. And then he feels so displaced by Jeff, right? Um, anyway, so maybe abuse. I mean, I definitely was like, how much do I want to bring onto the podcast the idea that Michael was sexually abused by his mother? And like, I guess I'm bringing it up and maybe I'll revise and regret this. But the logistics of this are so insane. The idea that she's going for his stomach with her eyes closed and mm-hmm. ends up kissing his butt just seems strange. And but also, why was it the worst? Why wasn't it funny? Why was why was this traumatic? What did she say or he say after anyway? Yeah, because it does just seem like if it just happened as narrated on the surface. So he says, I tried to call away. I, cr- I tried to crawl away. And what happened was her eyes were closed and she grabbed me and she kissed me on the butt. So he tries to crawl away. And picture her, she's kind of like bending down with her eyes closed and he's sort of flipped. So like he was laying on his back and he starts though, he kind of turns back over onto his stomach to squirm and crawl away. Right, got it. So like she thought it was his front and it's his back and... So it feels possible, but it also then just doesn't feel like, I mean, he's wearing the, he's wearing this, the Spider-Man pajama pants, right? <laughs> right. So how is the butt yeah. exposed? How is it exposed? Or was it exposed? Or was it not exposed? Oh, okay. You're right. That's a fair point because I'm picturing a butt on, a kiss on butt flesh. Butt flesh. Okay. We're getting good here. It. So it's like, but yet we have got to cut this all out. <laughs> but this is what we do, man. The reason I texted you when I watched this episode, I was like, "Holy fucking paging doc!" I I texted you. I said, "Paging doctor, 
Sigmund Freud. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it is weird because, like, the way that he describes it, it could be fine. You you know what I mean? Like, it could be a fine mistake. You know, you hit on the wrong place. That's right. got to happen when you have kids and they're squirming around all over the place. And sure. back to the thing, you know, with the, <laughs> the lotion, the cream on his thighs, you do interact with and touch your child in ways, right, beyond the way you would with anybody else. But with each of these things, and with this one in particular, why does he feel so weird about it? Right. Yes. He has, walked, he has walked away with the feeling that this is haunting or that this is upsetting in such a way that it is then framing his relationship with Andy. Yes. Which, as you've established, is an aggressive. Uh, and he is repulsed by Andy's um, aggressive. Uh, you, you described it as harassment. Here's 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 the logistical thing too. Okay, so he's wearing the Spider Man pajamas. Let's assume that that's like pants and a shirt, right? And the reason I suggest that is because that would enable one to lift up the shirt to blow the kiss on the tummy area, right? <laughs> because if it's a onesie, then that raises logistical questions for me. Good point. How could you effectively give a raspberry? You know. Uh, in in a sort of onesie but a onesie might have uh, you know the the butt open you know the <laughs> flap <laughs> make it just barely spit out her drink of water so um anyway okay so but but um so let's assume that it's the first situation where he's wearing pants. So he turns over and crawls away. She leans in to kiss. I have questions about logistics, but fine. The, the verb crawl would explain why his butt would be in the vicinity of her mouth. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> she <laughs> leans in to kiss or whatever. If he's wearing the pants, there would be no lip to butt contact. Mm -hmm. And it would feel more like one presumes a sort of bump, you know, like yeah. bumping her head or something against it. Yeah. She would not need to have said, I kissed your butt. Like, how would he narrate it as a kiss unless she mm. described it as such? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But and I'm not trying to I, to be clear, just to be very clear. I appreciate what you said. About, I'm not framing all parental child contact as abuse. And I'm, not, <laughs> and I'm not trying to trivialize child sexual abuse in any way. I am just one of the things that we do on this podcast is take a comedy show and ask, <laughs> pretend that it has realist psychology. And <laughs> so all I'm asking is why would this haunt Michael? <laughs> Yes. And I'm putting it in the context of a relationship with his mother that he seems to feel vexed about. And it mm -hmm. seems that his relationship with his mother in some way constantly has molded him into the little business. You know, we're in that video of him in, on the TV show, right? And he's it. And, and Pam and they say, like, his, can you believe his mother dressed him in that suit? And yeah. then he's like, I want 
basically to have lots of kids. So they have to be my friends and mm -hmm. then you can't be my friend. And I'm like, is that what she did to him? Like made her, him, her special person or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So maybe that would be why just really quick. If, yeah. So maybe it's not necessarily sexual abuse or anything like that, but maybe that's why he would be the contact becomes a representation of an emotional closeness that later feels to something. I don't know. What were you going to say? Sorry. Yeah. I was going to know on really a similar note. Is it about a feeling of being loved too much? Ooh. What he also is feeling here with Andy. So that even if, the mom didn't actually do something wrong. Right. It, right. You know, could it still be experienced as something wrong or as something creepy and weird and kind of viscerally upsetting if it feels like it's part of this package of being loved too much? Why would that? I mean, I guess being loved too much becomes suffocating, right? In the sense that your identity can be like swallowed up in the other person's right yeah. and her leaning in to give the raspberry like the the okay the raspberry is like a blowing out of breath yeah. <laughs> onto the body um and the and a kiss i don't know i'm just thinking about the kind of oral aggression you know like mouths are for eating they swallow you up they you know, there's this incorporation of you. Yeah. I guess that is like, why would you crawl away from the raspberry in the first place? I mean, mm -hmm. one could do that in a, in a kind of like, I don't want it. Like, uh, you know, and it could be playful. Like, it could oh. also be playful, but if he's escaping the, the mouth, is it about, yeah. Like kind of being swallowed up or something in her love. Yeah. But why mm -hmm. does he have such low self-esteem? He seems or does he? He has such a distorted sense of his. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. What kind of self-esteem does Michael have? Because he's got a lot of vulnerability, a lot of need, a lot of insecurity, a lot of need and desire to be loved. But then also these experiences of crawling away or hiding behind his door when he feels loved too much yeah that's such a good point he's surprised when when jan likes him and it, it's just connecting back for me to the scene in his office when she comes back after sandals after the picture has been released and she's saying that she wants to be with him and he's kind of shocked by it mm. I don't know. Michael, Michael is a complicated man. Something that's interesting in this episode is he is not funny at all. Hmm. He's almost morose. And I would argue it's like one of the few episodes in which we almost see him like depressed. Hmm. Um, although I don't, maybe that's going, I'm surely we've seen him, but like he seems to be experiencing grief. And especially at the recognition that he has fired Dwight and yet Dwight took care of him. He watered his plants. He displayed his action figures. That was it, a sweet 
Pixar, wasn't it? Yeah. The Dwight arranges the toys on his desk in, what does Michael call it? A pleasing manner, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's both, it's, a, it's like recognizing that he was cared for. Yeah. And, and that he didn't realize that or something. I don't know. But like, he's so manipulative, Dwight, making him do his laundry and stuff like that, you know, but that's. I, I, Dwight did earn that. <laughs> so, um, but I guess all I'm saying is one of the ways in which Michael feels that he earns love is by being funny, by being a comedian. And mm. in this episode, he's not funny and he's not performing really. And uh, yeah. So I think that it's just making me wonder, you know, the raspberry thing is about blowing a kiss on somebody and they laugh. Right. And it's supposed mm -hmm. to be light. And in this situation, he got, whatever, you know, felt scared or didn't want to crawl away and ruin the mom's joke. And mm. if she was like, I was just trying to be funny or, you know, you didn't laugh or whatever, like if he's not being the comedian for her, maybe then um, maybe that's why. I, I don't know. I don't know. Just. Yeah. That's an interesting moment and scene you're right where she's trying to be playful and yet do something that's funny and then for him it seems to feel violating yeah or that at least his memory of it so there's like an, an attempt at lightness and humor that does not land from her it's interesting because on the last episode with the robot or the computer oh yeah yeah like boobs <laughs> Like he yeah. has kind of juvenile sexual, like he links totally. humor and sexuality in a way, not unlike Kevin. And yeah. I mean, certainly that's a cultural discourse or whatever, but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to keep thinking about this. Also, I mean, it does also, it's interesting in the context of he's welcoming back his gay friend and like th this whole imagery about butt kissing and the butt and the mm. uh, you know mm. there's a kind of anal anxiety yes and you know as you already suggested like andy is like come over let's get drunk and then we'll nap together at my house like there is a homo social if not homoerotic yeah potential there and not for nothing andy is not the most butch dude <laughs> and, uh so it's not inconceivable that michael is reacting to the potential homoeroticism of andy's sycophantic desire i don't know wow fascinating there's so much going on in this show is there <laughs> or is it just we have a lot of time on our hands. I can't What's say. Going on in us. Um, <laughs> the well, can we talk about Michael's grand gesture of going to apologize to Dwight? Yes, please. Okay, so Michael realizes that he has made a mistake in letting Dwight leave, and so he goes to get him from Staples. I don't know quite when Michael put it together when when he knew that Dwight was working at Staples mm. but whatever the case may be it works out 
I think it is so funny when he goes outside. I mentioned earlier in the episode that his the top on his convertible doesn't go up and it has been snowing all day. And so when Michael goes out to drive over to Staples, his convertible is full of snow and he starts trying to scoop it out with his hand and he gets the little scraper, the little ice scraper to start scooping it out. And then it cuts to him once he's arrived at Staples and his hair is all messed up, but it just makes it, it makes what I think is a grand gesture grander. It ups the stakes and it makes it more epic that he has to go through this snowy tundra and dig himself out of his car in order to get to Dwight. And he goes and he apologizes with the framing saying, you know, that it takes a big man to say that he's wrong and I am that big man. Um, this is how he puts it. He says he goes into Staples and he's kind of running around and looking for Dwight and there are a couple other people he thinks are maybe him and he eventually finds him and Michael says to Dwight what's up Dwight says same old hilarious Michael um it takes a big man to admit his mistake and I am that big man Angela from accounting told me what you did Dwight oh my god she told you Michael yes she did and Dwight if you were willing to do something like that for some random coworker, then clearly I have misjudged you from the beginning and I apologize. So. I thought it was, um, yeah, just, I thought the, the, um, actually the, the cinematography of that scene was kind of interesting too, where as they walk out, the camera crew does not follow Michael and Dwight. Instead it stops and it looks up at the security camera of walking out of Staples together, which I thought was an interesting choice. I didn't have a reading of it. Um, Very interesting. But it's always kind of interesting to me when the camera crew does something more, uh, I don't know, artistic or unexpected or something like that. Um, but uh, I love, yeah, like, okay, so Michael never figures it out that Dwight and Angela are an item. And and Aunt Dwight's face when he's like, oh, she told you is great. And the way that he like it, realizes Michael doesn't know and he's like all right I'm not going to say anything yeah. but I also love Angela you know when she confesses sort of and he says why would Dwight do that for you and you know he's like I think I know why because Dwight loves this company yeah. <laughs> you know and so just his kind of you know back to lack of self-awareness lack of other awareness as well you know that there would be anything there um yeah, yeah it's really funny really? uh and of course, then Oscar's party gets hijacked for Dwight. Um, yes. Oscar's party that um, Michael tells him I, his his description. So this, the, um, here, wait, let me just pull up the quote here. He says to the party, he comes in and talks to the party planning committee and Oscar has said, I really have no preference. We don't even have to have a party. Michael, no, hey, hey, don't be ridiculous. Of course we are going to have a party. A celebration of Oscar, Oscar night. And I want it to be Oscar specific. And then Oscar says, Michael, just sort of imagine Oscar getting <laughs> nervous as he says, Oscar specific. Michael responds, no, no, no. I mean, not because you're gay. Your gayness does not define you. Your Mexicanness is what defines you to me. And I think we should celebrate Oscar's Mexicanity. 
So Phyllis, I want you to go for firecrackers and a chihuahua. Pam in the frozen food section. Swanson makes a delightful chimichanga. Oscar, why don't you have me riding a donkey into the office like Pepe? Michael, ah, a burro. Of course, if Oscar wants a donkey, let's get him one. So he also, in his absurd list of stereotypes of, quote, Mexicanity, he does not pick up Oscar's joke about riding in, his sarcasm about riding in on a donkey. And he's like, oh, yeah, let's get that. Um, but when Dwight comes in, he really does think that the party is for himself. Yeah. He, uh, he goes all in. I also love the line when um, Michael says, so does this remind you of your childhood right now? Speaking of Freud and Oscar says, it reminds me a lot of the three amigos. Yes. <laughs> and Michael's like, wow, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so yeah. much. And it's just really, uh, yeah, a, a great moment where it's like, I mean, the show, I think sometimes does such a, a, a great job of kind of like, you know, demonstrating racism and then acknowledging it and then making fun of the people who are who don't see that what they're doing is reproducing it or anyway i thought this was a a, a good moment of yeah michael not even realizing that what mike what oscar is pointing out here um mm -hmm. that this is all just based on a white stereotype um i i love that part too and how michael when he says wow thank you wow that's thank you so much like he's really moved yeah. by that yeah yeah and it's got Steve Martin and Chevy Chase and Oscar doesn't mention him, but um, oh, now I'm forgetting who the third guy is. I looked for the, looked up the preview, another comedian, like another funny guy. And so it's just such a perfect, perfect thing for Michael that it's a white comedian's cheesy yeah, yeah. of Mexicanity, which is also just hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think what else I wanted to point out here. I guess I don't have much other than um, I'll just say, you know, the Jim, Pam, Karen plot. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have much to say. I thought it was, you know, I, I, I really like how this show kind of keeps the romance plot on the back burner, but like brings it in, you know, it's, it's a through line and, but it, uh, but it doesn't dominate every like story. And so I just kind of appreciated that how it folds in because it isn't obvious from the start that this is like an episode about Jim, Pam slash Karen, but I like that Karen turns down the desired prank and then, you know, Jim's frustration grows and then Pam's like, yes, let's do it. That mm -hmm. reunites them that, you know, they're laughing, they're joking. And we've kind of talked a bunch about pranking is flirting. And so then the fact that she's like, do you still have feelings for her? And he says, yes. I mean, I really wanted to know like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for, for Karen or whatever? And maybe we'll find out, but I thought it was subtle and I, and I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. But like with Andy, Andy seemed to re-infuse because th this is the first time that Jim has been so direct in saying to Karen, yes, I have feelings for her and I still do it's not from the time we started here or something like that with it, it seems like Pam and Jim their relationship is sort of infused with this new energy now when they have a new shared 
enemy. So Dwight is out, but Andy is in, and Andy is being so horribly, horribly annoying. And it builds their bond. And poor Karen, I really felt for her in this episode as she really? watched them yeah. panting around the office, laughing together. And she was left out. I uh I loved um Andy's uh when Andy snaps. Um part of what I love about it is that Jim tells him where the phone is and Andy doesn't listen, you know. Um he's yeah, like, yeah, he says, check the ceiling. Right? Yeah, um, which I just enjoy that um as a joke. But I really love the Ed Helms performance, the you know, so when Michael is like, you're gonna drive me crazy, and he says, Fine. I'll just sit at my desk and be quiet. Sorry, I annoyed you with my friendship. Mm. <laughs> Which, like, I don't know. It just is, It, I just really love that line. And it feels like a thing that, uh, I don't know. It just feels very real to me. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of petulant reaction. I'm not saying that I've ever felt or said anything like that uh nor had it said to me but who can say i just it just felt i was like that is a really great way to represent somebody's profound immaturity and incapability of kind of modulating you know your your emotions and uh and then that escalates into his um punching the hole in the wall um and i had I just love, you know, when he says that was an overreaction, going to hit the break room. Does anybody want anything? Pam, you good? (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a great, like, I'm going to try to recover from this. Um, And then, of course, his going to anger management, I just thought was so a great way to kind of usher this character away. Uh And uh, a very funny ending. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um. Wait, there was one other thing I was going to say, but I've forgotten it. I think I just want to acknowledge how Dwight just murders that pinata. <laughs> oh, gosh. when he does, when he doesn't take the blindfold, he's like, "I don't need it." Like he does yeah. not get the point, but he just brutalizes that thing. But he has such a good time doing it, and I think that's I think that's about all. All right. Well, I think it's time for us to head over to Chili's and, uh, you know, order some chicken fingers and do the Dundies. All right. Let's do it. Would you like to kick things off? I will kick things off. I am going to give out two Dundies today. First, I want to give the Gay Patience Award to Oscar Martinez. (laughs) Just, oh my gosh. I, I was happy to have Oscar back and he put up with a lot. And I liked also his strategy behind it when he said, let them talk. Like he's gotten good. He's gotten good things out of it. And I like it that he's going to, going to try to potentially get some more. Um, And just his, his interactions with Michael around the Mexican themed party, I felt like were really very strong. My other Dundee, my second Dundee, is going to be the same award I gave out last week. Well, no, did I give this out? No, I didn't. You did. I planned to give this award out. Then you gave it. It's the Man of Honor Award 
Last week, you gave it to Dwight K. Schrute. This week, I'm going to give it to Michael Scott. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I felt like he really, he did the right thing. As much as he talked up being a big man and doing the right thing, he did do the right thing going back to Dwight. And I also felt like his performance in this was just fantastic. He just communicated the feeling of being annoyed and overwhelmed by Andy so effectively. Love that. Um, well, I'm going to give out um, the uh, Solidarity Award. And uh, this goes to Pam. Because I loved when Jim is like, uh, you want to pull a prank on Andy? And she's like, oh, well, I'm like, yes, you know, and just dives right in. And I think it's pretty masterful um, in their sleight of hand and all of that. And then um, in the uh, good advice, uh, Dundee, I'm giving that to Jim um, for being honest with Michael and trying to explain to him that Andy is a yes man. And mm -hmm. I felt that he did that in a way that was not shaming. I also didn't think that it was terribly underhanded or anything like that. I didn't think he was sabotaging Andy. I mean, I suppose, but, um, but anyway, I thought, I thought it was like, that's really good advice to Michael and it helps him yeah. figure things out. And I thought that was admirable. Did yeah. I think about giving Andy an award? You know that I did, but I just couldn't stomach it. So it's not happening. All right. You may have more opportunities in the future. Ooh, ooh I hope so. Um, so what's the next episode? Ben Franklin. Oh, you've, you've talked about this. Yeah. Speaking of people giving you the creeps. Ooh. Curious. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i look forward to it thanks everybody for listening thanks for listening bye